The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Hello, friends. I am Robert Evans, and this is Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. Now, my guest today uh, is a personal friend of mine, former roommate, uh, current and former colleague, David Christopher Bell. Hello, Robert. David is a writer, a podcaster, one of the two heads of the Gamefully Unemployed Network, which you can find on Patreon. Dave, anything else you want to introduce about yourself? No, you got it right. Mm-hmm. I also have been writing for BunnyEars.com, which is Macaulay Culkin's uh, yep. lifestyle website. David is Macaulay Culkin's personal biographer. Mm, yeah. No, yeah. I am his spiritual guru, though. Fantastic. Yeah. He's also been taking care of my cat for months, which I feel like readers should know. Great cat. Really <laughs> solid cat. Uh, now, today, David, we are going to talk about a gentleman and a scholar mm-hmm. uh, named Muammar Gaddafi. Great name. What do you know about Muammar Gaddafi? Great name. That's, a, <laughs> that's pretty much... I was thinking about this a lot since you asked me to be on this. Muammar is like a great name. Solid name, yeah. right? Yeah. Gaddafi is a solid last name, Gaddafi. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know um, he did stuff in Libya, and it yes, didn't end did. well for him. It did not. Yeah. Uh, That's about it. I know his country once uh, asked a scientist to make him a bomb in 1985, and the scientist oh, used great. it to make a time machine instead. <laughs> um, really, really screwed over the Libyans there. Yeah, they were very angry. Yeah. Uh, Doc Brown. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the extent of my knowledge. Well, yeah, Momar was the leader of Libya for 40 years. Uh, he was 
executed in the street in 2011 by a partisan mob, and that's uh, that's that's what I would I would guess most people listening right now know about Muammar Gaddafi. Um, the more detailed story, which we're about to get into, is the tale of probably the craziest person to ever run a country, and not not like Hitler crazy, where you have like this very cohesive idea about the world and history, and you're trying to like make this vi- like. Like crazy is in he probably I don't even know like I don't I don't even know how to just I'm I'm just gonna read you 21 pages about the guy oh delightful okay uh so you know we live in a time of political extremes right now in the United States that fact is obvious enough that even saying it uh is like yielding to cliche mm-hmm. and in times like these extreme men with extreme plans and very little relevant experience can wind up in charge of the destiny of millions. That basic story is played out a lot of times throughout history, but never quite like it did during the reign of Muammar Gaddafi. He was a dictator, and like Saddam Hussein, a writer as well. But while Saddam used his novels to imagine a fantasy world far away from Iraq's troubled reality, Gaddafi actually based the Libyan state entirely on his fevered fantasies. Now, Muammar Mohammed Abu Minyar Gaddafi was born in 1941, or perhaps 1943, in a little hamlet of tents near a town called Sirt in the deserts of western Libya. No one knows exactly when he was born because he lied about every aspect of his past and also probably lied about his birthday so that he could join the military. That seems like a running theme, having yeah. listened to this show. They, <laughs> yeah. like to, they like to make their own history. Yeah, you bit. never really know anything about these they're guys. All, they're all a little like Houdini. Like they, they really they like the razzle-dazzle there. Mm-hmm. Or like the Joker, who is actually kind of a good way to look at Muammar Gaddafi when I say he's crazy. He's, oh. he's like Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like Hitler had a plan. Yeah. Um, Muammar was just... He just was going to see what happens. Yeah, he had a plan, but it was not, not the same. wasn't si- a great plan. It wasn't a great plan. It kept changing. It was, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. I'm okay. getting ahead of myself. Uh, so he was a Bedouin, um, which are like sort of wandering nomadic desert people, kind of the original Arabs. Uh, he was the only son of a goat herder named Abu Minyar and his wife Aisha. Neither of Gaddafi's parents could read. He had three older sisters, but otherwise the fictional figure his childhood most resembled would probably be Ray from Star Wars. Uh, because Libya had been an Italian colony uh, right up until World War II when it became a battleground between the Axis and the Allies. So as a child, Gaddafi and his family would wander the desert finding empty ammo casings, pieces of downed planes, destroyed tanks, and like taking scrap off of them and selling it. Like that was his his early childhood. So yeah, like Ray from Star Wars basically. Right, selling yeah. it to Simon Pegg in a, yeah. in a big costume. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, Simon Pegg does come into the story a number of times. I thought he uh, would, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, aside from occasionally rooting through crashed Stukas and P-51 Mustangs, Gaddafi's early life was basically the same as the life of a Libyan born a thousand years earlier. His family mostly lived in tents around an oasis. His early education was given by a wandering priest who taught him to memorize verses of the Quran. So that's, you know, young that Gaddafi. That sounds kind of awesome. No, it does, Getting your right? education, but a wandering anything. <laughs> like, I'm picturing something very, probably way more, like, magical than... Uh, it actually was. It was probably more boring, but yeah. I mean, I wish, yeah. I wish, if I could change one thing in time from Omar Gaddafi, it would be to have that wandering priest have been a wandering karate master. Mm. And then it's a very different story. Yeah, yeah. that would have yeah, changed a lot of history. Yeah. Uh, so in 1954, young Omar Gaddafi convinced his dad to let him go to school, which is something he has in common with Saddam Hussein, having to like beg his family to t- let him learn how to read and right. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to learn. Ugh. Um, the school was so far away from his home that he had to live in town while he attended classes. Uh, he slept at a mosque every night and went back home on the weekends, walking 15 miles each way. 
That sucks. Yeah, that's really rough. That's less. I I, I like the wandering priest. Like he comes to you. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to travel that much to learn. You have to commute every week to get to school. No, no, I would not have gone to school under those circumstances. Uh, So school was tough, but it gave Momar a chance to develop his first, last, and greatest love, ranting about politics. In 1952, the Egyptian government had been overthrown by a group of Arab nationalist army officers headed by a guy named Gamal Abdel Nasser. Qaddafi fell in love with Nasser's politics, which was like Arab pan-Arab nationalism. All the Arab states need to form one new country again, like there was in the days of the Ottoman. Like, that's the idea that Qaddafi loved as a kid. Right. Um, so he started memorizing Nasser's speeches and reciting them to other kids at school. Rather than beating him up, his classmates started carrying around a small wooden stool so he could stand on it and speak. Um, that's Qaddafi's version of the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was about to say, that doesn't sound like children. It <laughs> doesn't sound like kids. <laughs> Having been a child, I think we would have thrown rocks at him. Yeah. Yeah. But who knows? He was a charismatic guy. The 50s and 60s were a time of growing and exploding unrest across Africa at the unjustness of colonialism. Qaddafi organized protests, including a general strike every 2nd of December, to protest against the Balfour Declaration, which was, that's the thing where Britain was like, there's going to be an Israel, and then there was an Israel. That's okay. what that was. Yeah, you're not a fan of Israel. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's important to note that our number one source on the life of young Qaddafi is, yeah, yeah adult Qaddafi. Um, it's also important to note, though, that everybody that's been interviewed from his childhood and early life says that he was, like, electrifying to listen to. Very charismatic, good-looking young guy. There's older pictures I saw of him. I quickly yeah. went on Wikipedia, and he seemed like a good-looking guy. He was a handsome fellow. Yeah. He looked good in a uniform. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, his his dressing, we'll, we'll get into his fashion choices a little later. His his sense of style really evolved over the years. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's not hard to imagine that young Qaddafi might have actually been an anti-colonial rabble-rouser and a popular speaker. Now, when he grew up, one of his earliest memories is just of being terrified of the sea, because the Libyan people for the last 3,000 years had just been invaded by an endless series of empires. So like... That was a, a thing that he was scared of. He hated and the ocean. He hated the ocean, and he loved the desert. I'm 100% with him on that. Yeah, yeah. You are very on the record about I'm hating I'm extremely the ocean. anti-ocean. Yeah. It doesn't want us there. We have no reason to be there. Yeah. You can't drink it. You can't breathe in it. It's There's nothing there for us. Stay out of the ocean. <laughs> you it's are... filled with monsters. <laughs> Momar Gaddafi would not disagree with you on any point there. Yeah, so far I'm getting along <laughs> with, the guy. with Momar. Um, so when he was a kid... Uh, or when he when he had been a little, little kid, the Italians had been in charge of his country. Uh, and, you know, they'd invaded in 1911 and killed his grandfather. Uh, then they'd carried out a brutal anti-insurgency operation against Libyan civilians in 1929. They'd put two-thirds of Libya's population into concentration camps. A lot of them died. We don't know how many. Mm. But, yeah, that's just we just did a co- an episode about concentration camps ah, recently. I listened to it. Yeah, yeah. It was very good. This is just yet one more country that yeah. in, uh, Europeans... Very camps in. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to pick the countries that didn't ever have a concentration right. camp in them because there's like three. Um, so, yeah, under Italian rule, Libyans couldn't receive anything beyond an elementary school education. Most of that education was dedicated to civilizing these savages with Italian values, which I assume are mostly based around macaroni and plumbing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and kissing kissing your fingers when something's good. Yes, yeah. yes. And I can say that because my family is Italian. That is 100% of our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty Italian, too. Yeah. So. Uh, when this caused unrest, you know, the not letting them get educated or talk thing, dictator Benito Mussolini tried to charm the Libyans by declaring himself the protector of Islam. That was one of his titles. Mm. 
Uh, he had a sword made in Tuscany and engraved by Libyan Jewish goldsmiths that he claimed was the sword of Islam. When he declared himself protector of Islam, Benito gave himself the sword in a huge ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Which is oh, no. the whitest man thing to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that is that is peak colonialism. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's. Top-notch yeah. colonialism. It's really, really something. I'm doing that Italian is. kissy <laughs> finger thing I just described. So good. Yeah. Uh, so Libya gained its independence from, uh, well, I mean, it, obviously the Italians, it was taken over by the Italians in World War II by the Allied forces. Uh, the new United Nation gave Libya its independence in 1951. Uh, the Western powers appointed a king named Idris to rule over the country because they trusted him to be their man in Libya. Uh, Idris banned political parties and was sort of repressive, but his heart wasn't really in ruling. He didn't really care about being king. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Libya's new National Assembly wrote their first constitution that same year. Uh, Libya had never been a country before 1951, so there wasn't any precedent for them being united. It had just been like, there were some cities on the coast that kind of kept to themselves and people in the desert who kind of kept to themselves. It and, was just a place? It was just a place. It was yeah. just, that's... Charming. Like, it, I didn't know we could have that. Well, yeah. I mean, it had been parts of other countries, a bunch right. of... But, but just no one gave a shit conquered. about it? Yeah. And nobody had said, like, you're, you're part of this empire now. You're part of this empire now. Right. And But it was never like the people in the desert in the middle of Libya had never viewed themselves as the same thing as the people in Benghazi or Tripoli. Okay. And for that matter, the people in Tripoli and Benghazi didn't consider themselves all right. part of... There was, no, I'm from fucking Tripoli. It was, they just had no history of being a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no one could agree where the capital would be. So they decided to rotate capitals every two years between Tripoli and Benghazi. This mm. meant that every two years, the whole federal government and diplomatic corps had to pack up and move across thousands of miles of brutal desert. So they chose the <laughs> least convenient way to do this. Let's just do this the worst. Yeah. yeah. Worst way possible. Which makes our pick of DC as the American capital seem less dumb, where they're mm -hmm. just like, let's just pick a swamp in the middle of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Like, a lot of people died of malaria, but it's smarter than switching capitals. Right, and we committed, and yeah, we, we stuck to it. Yeah. I'm sure now, like, now that we expanded the country and stuff, there's some better candidates, but no. Mm -hmm. We're sticking to D.C. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now it's got history. Yeah. Um, okay, so for his part, King Idris did not want to be king. He refused to put his face on the money or have any landmark other than the airport named after him. So this was like a hobby? Like, it was like he just he was king, but he was like, eh, I'm not really into it. He was like a high up leader in one of the cities, and the British were like he had a lot of power in a region, and he was friendly to the West. And okay. the West was like, if we make this guy king, he'll let us take oil out, and he'll let us keep air force bases. Okay. And in return, we'll train up his army, and we'll have British soldiers there protecting his reign. But the king didn't really give a shit about he didn't he, he liked running his area the city he was in right but he had no ambition to run all of libya um so yeah he refused to have anything but the airport named after him he spent most of his time at home uh and his sort of absence from the public sphere opened up opportunities for young ambitious politically minded men young men like muammar Gaddafi. Mm. Uh, Qaddafi was not happy with the status quo in his country. As a strict Muslim, he was outraged that foreigners lived there, brought alcohol into Libya, and partied. Uh, as a teen, he led his fellow children to smash the windows of a hotel that had a, a bar in it. Uh, King Idris kept the company open to American and British bases. Qaddafi had nothing but contempt for this and for Westerners. 
Here's an anecdote about him from Alison Pargeter's Libya, The Rise and Fall of Gaddafi, which was one of the major sources for this podcast. Quote, one target for his invective was the English school inspector, Mr. Johnson, whom Gaddafi dismissed as no more than an agent of imperialism. On one occasion, Gaddafi refused to stand up when Mr. Johnson entered the room and, in a provocative gesture, waved a keychain bearing the image of President Nasser at the haughty inspector. Upon being ordered to leave the room, Gaddafi coldly told the inspector, you are the one who should leave for good. Not this room, but the whole country. Damn. Yeah. How so, old was he? He's like 16 or something. Mm. Yeah, he's like a, a classic teenager. teenage rebellion classic there. teenager, yeah. So Gaddafi's activism earned him a small but dedicated following of other boys. Rather than convince them to sell drugs for him like a decent American school child, he organized them into a revolutionary cell to overthrow the king. This is when he's in, like, the equivalent of high school. Right. Uh, recruits into Gaddafi's group had to be Arab nationalists and weren't allowed to drink alcohol or, quote, run after women. Gaddafi recounted, We used to meet under a palm tree near the Sebha Fortress using a light we had made with our hands. Under this light, I used to give my lessons in secret revolutionary organizations. Wow. Yeah. They're like they're like the the straight edge kids in high school mm-hmm. um who are like fuck the government but they're actually like planning to destroy yeah. the government. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're way more uh a- active. <laughs> yeah. And it's they 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 stick with it, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, you got to respect that. I I gave up most of the stuff I w- I was believed in as a teenager when he, I was 16. Yeah, this is like his junior high school band. Yeah. But he keeps keeps it rolling he and knew. also he really does, doesn't he? Yeah. Commitment. It's important. Um, so uh, in 19... Oh, yeah. None of the young revolutionaries in Gaddafi's cell were allowed to do anything fun while there was a government to overthrow. Uh, nightclubs and gambling were banned for the members. Secrecy had to be total. Everyone was required to be all in for the revolution. In 1961, Gaddafi attended a protest in Seba, the town he, where he went to school. He gave a speech attacking the British and American military bases in Libya it was apparently an aggressive enough speech that the regime had him expelled from school entirely. Mm. This was a mistake. It only made Gaddafi more dangerous. He left his family behind, walked to the coastal town of Miserata, and enrolled in school there. Then he started to recruit more young students. By the time he was an adult and old enough to join the military academy, young Momart Gaddafi had built revolutionary cells in five cities. Wow. As a newly minted adult, he went to military school in Benghazi. Since the Libyan military at this point was basically just a Western puppet, his training was conducted mostly by British soldiers. Gaddafi refused to, earn, to learn English. One of his teachers there, a guy named Colonel Ted Lau, described him as inherently cruel. He claims Gaddafi murdered a fellow cadet, probably for being gay. Uh, this is a quote from that book, Libya. The terrified cadet, his hands and feet bound, was dragged to a firing point where Gaddafi and a group of other students began shooting at him before a Libyan officer finished him off with a coup de grace while the others laughed. So. Okay, so I no longer like him. You're no longer on, yeah, to, That's to page the three. turning point, right? Because <laughs> until this moment, he didn't. Yeah. No hate crimes. Um, Gaddafi- he was hate crime free until this part. Gaddafi's whole story is like that. There will be two things he'll do in a row, and you're like, Okay, I agree with what you said. Or yeah, like, or like, oh, yeah. he's a real self-starter. He's <laughs> <a little> like, <laughs> in the murders. And then he has to murder someone for being gay. That's, <laughs> yeah. re- that's real fucked up, Gaddafi. Yeah, yeah. I, I no. know uh, you're listening. So Gaddafi's <laughs> lost the David Bell vote at this point. Yeah, no. That's good to know. Uh, so Gaddafi, discipline was violent for everybody in the military school. At one point, Gaddafi got in trouble for not keeping his mouth shut, and he was forced to crawl on his hands and knees over gravel, wearing a backpack filled with sand in the hot desert sun. So... Military school's rough for everybody, but mm-hmm. roughest for the gay kids who get executed. Uh, throughout the whole period, Gaddafi continued to work through work towards his revolution. 
He and his fellow cadets viewed the military as their gateway into power, but there was a problem. They were all just a bunch of cadets who would, when they graduated, be low-ranking officers. No one with any real power or knowledge wanted a thing to do with them. Uh, Their operational security was very bad, bad enough that the CIA had started to hear about them by 1967. The CIA did not take Gaddafi seriously because he just seemed like a dumb kid, so the West continued to suck out Libya's oil and use it as one big airstrip. Gaddafi later recalled, Our souls were in revolt against the backwardness enveloping our country and its land, whose best gifts and riches were being lost through plunder and against the isolation imposed on our people in a vain attempt to hold it back from the path of the Arab people and from its greatest cause. So, uh, Gaddafi graduated military school. So did the kids he'd grown up with and turned into the members of his revolutionary cell. Uh, They named themselves the Free Unionist Officers Movement, and at first their ability to overthrow the government did not seem to be... Uh, very good. It, it's, they were as good at naming themselves as they were at overthrowing the government. Oh, okay. Um, they tried to hold meetings, but it was difficult to get everyone in the same place at the same time. Most of them didn't have cars. <laughs> so it is like having a band. <laughs> it is like having, yeah. A, yeah, having a band when you're all teenagers. Uh, they tried to get some senior officers on board with their plan, but none of those people wanted anything to do with them. Uh, and so for a while, their revolutionary activities were mostly limited to stealing ammo and hiding, hiding it under piles of rocks and inside trees. Hmm. There's one story, one of the guys in Qaddafi's group who went on to be his secretary of defense, basically, when he was a kid, had to his mom had to hide a bunch of ammo that he'd stashed in the sewers because the police came looking for him. Hmm. So like that's the level these guys are on, where like their moms are helping them hide bullets. That's um, adorable. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. cute. Um, Qaddafi and his revolutionaries tried to schedule the overthrow of the government in early 1969. This got called off because of a concert. Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, (laughs) they set a new date, but this one got fucked up because someone in the military found out and put, you know, the king on warned, warned the king. Right. Um, Qaddafi and several of his friends were questioned, but nothing came of it. So the history of their revolution is basically an endless parade of near misses. Uh, there was the time that Qaddafi was driving back to Benghazi with a friend who got so into reciting ver- verses from the Quran that he didn't see a giant cow had stepped in the middle of the road. The car rammed the cow, which somehow survived, but the car was totaled. <laughs> so this is like a teen comedy right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like a teen comedy about trying to overthrow the government. Yeah, with yeah. the occasional hate crime. Yeah, with, sprinkled with in the there. occasional hate crime. So basically American Pie, just yeah. that movie. Yeah. yeah, Qaddafi's childhood was a lot like a Libyan American Pie. Yeah. L- Libyan Pie, which I think is baklava. Okay, yeah. yeah. It would seem right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it turned out that all their many failures had helped him. Um, Colonel Aziz Shanib, the third in command of the Libyan army, later said that he and his fellow senior officers knew about Qaddafi's group and their plans and just ignored them. We always thought it was rubbish that Qaddafi and his group would never be able to do anything, which is not an unfair thing to assume based on what we've heard so far. Eventually, though, Qaddafi and his revolutionary friends got their shit together enough to set a totally for real this time coup date, September 1st, 1969. Mm. So, we're going to get into that coup, and of course, the madness that came after, but first, we have to sell some products and services, and Ooh. you love things that I love you things. purchase. Yeah. 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 Receipts mm-hmm. and items. Just objects. Objects yeah. in general. Yeah. Well, the objects that are about to come on in through your earbuds are objects that if you buy them, it will support the show. So, there, Do you, that. there we go. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. 
wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to 15 bucks a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at highfivecasino.com. High Five Casino. It was a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six x visit tomboyx.com during the right rug flooring hello summer sale you'll find savings throughout the store all backed by the right price guarantee including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty only 159 installed with pad that's right 159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. And we're back. We're talking about Muammar Gaddafi. We just got through his childhood, uh, the formation of his revolutionary cell and the setting of their final date to overthrow the king of Libya. Mm. Uh, I do want to note at this point, you know, there's a number of sources for this, including that great book, Libya, uh, a documentary from the BBC called Mad Dog about Gaddafi, uh, and a bunch of others. So you can find all the sources for this podcast on our website, BehindTheBastards.com. I uh, always encourage people to check up on us and read further. Um, So uh, the date has been set. The coup has been planned for September 1st, 1969. Uh, Gaddafi distributed plans for the revolution to all of the members in his revolutionary group. Uh, he handed them out in envelopes sealed with red wax. How um, how big is this group at this point? I, th- I think it's dozens and dozens of people. Okay. Yeah, it's a sizable group. They're all over the country. Not like hundreds, though. I don't think hundreds, but it's there's no... I, I've, I, I never found like an exact number okay. of how many people were involved. So the coup had been postponed and delayed so many times... Uh, that a lot of key members of the conspiracy did not believe it when they got their letters. They thought it was a trap. Hmm. Uh, so Gaddafi spent the last moments before starting the coup driving all around Libya, convincing his men that, yes, we're still planning to overthrow the king. 
So the whole thing was a comedy of errors mixed with a shit show. Right, but he really wanted it to work. He really like, wanted it again, to work. Again, take aside from that hate crime, <laughs> like it, this is like an underdog story almost. <laughs> it really is. Of like these group group of chuckle fucks trying to have a revolution, and yeah. this one guy who's like really. Oh, he just wants to overthrow the king. Yeah. And they're not good at it, but everyone else is so bad at everything that it works out. Right. Which but is again, this all has to start with aside from the hate crime. Aside from so, the like, hate it's, crime. <laughs> I can't really just like throw away the hate crime. No, no. There will be more hate crimes as the oh, story yeah. lengthens. <laughs> I assume uh, so. So revolution day comes. Uh, on the day, one of his men, there were radio stations they were supposed to take over in Tripoli and Benghazi. The guy who was supposed to take over the Tripoli radio station um, and occupy it couldn't find it. So several other revolutionaries helped him find it. And once they got there, they were shot at mistakenly by the soldiers who thought they were Israelis invading the country. Hmm. Uh, a tank commanded by one of the conspirators caught on fire while it was filled with explosives and ammo. The driver barely managed to disconnect a wire in time to stop it from exploding. While all this went down, Qaddafi was tearing ass through the desert in a jeep to take over the Benghazi radio station. They came to a fork in the road. And here's a quote from the book Libya on what happened next. Qaddafi took the left turn, as planned, expecting the train of vehicles to follow him. However, in the excitement of the moment, the other drivers went hurtling down the right fork. He later recounted, I had stopped my Jeep to await the rest of the column when I suddenly saw all the other vehicles tearing like demons towards the main road. Then it dawned on me that the entire Gar Yunus barracks were streaming along in one direction and that the drivers, in their enthusiasm, were following one another without worrying much where they were supposed to be going. So this entire revolution <laughs> could have been scored to yakety sex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's probably all I can say before we get pulled for right. copyright infringement. Yeah. Uh, but it worked. The revolution worked despite not really knowing what they were doing. It just happened that the king was out of the country. When this went down, right. none of the officers were prepared to defend a coup, and the Libyan military was not really a functional service at this point. So Gaddafi and his young friends wound up overthrowing the government with very little bloodshed or fighting. Uh, so let wow. that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> mm. <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to say about like leadership that start where it's just so dumb and yeah. like it can't possibly get better from here when like. There was no, like all every condition had to be perfect for them to yeah. do this, and it was basically everybody else's fault. It sounds yeah. like it was everybody else's fault. A minimally competent government and military would have stopped this in seconds. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody was good at their job. This is like like the apocalypse now of revolutions where everything goes wrong and yet mm -hmm. it somehow works out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And yeah, I think it's a good lesson. Other than the hate crime, there's a great lesson in this for kids, which is that. You can sometimes succeed in rebelling against the state if you just show up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which, okay. Uh, at 6.30 a.m. on September 1st, 1969, Libyans with radios woke up to the sound of Muammar Gaddafi's voice for the very first time. People of Libya, in response to your own free will, fulfilling your most heartfelt wishes, and answering your incessant demands for change and regeneration and your longing to strive towards these ends, 
Listening to your incitement to rebel, your armed forces have undertaken the overthrow of the reactionary and corrupt regime, the stench of which has sickened and horrified us all. From this day forward, Libya is a free, self-governing republic. She will advance on the road to freedom, the path to unity and social justice, guaranteeing equality to all her citizens and throwing wide in front of them the gates of honest employment, where injustice and exploitation will be banished, where no one will count himself master or servant, where he will be free, brothers within a society in which, with God's help, prosperity and equality will be seen to rule us all. Mm-hmm. What an exhausting thing to hear yeah. on the radio. <laughs> You're just getting up <laughs> yeah, in the morning. Up, like, you got oh, shit. Oh, uh, we have to do what now? <laughs> There's been a revolution. I only had my fucking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> this Oof. is such bullshit. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> do you want Great to go name, to work? But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the 40-year reign of Muammar Gaddafi had begun. Yeah. Well, I really expected it to be something more grand than what you've described. <laughs> it was just a bunch of dumb kids who got lucky. Yeah. Uh, If you were a regular Libyan at this time, you might have felt optimistic. Uh, The Western powers hadn't exactly done any good for the regular people, and the king had clearly sucked. So maybe you'd figure new blood is good. He's an outsider, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I have similar feelings right now. If we got Mm -hmm. red donned, part of me would be like, okay, let's try this. (laughs) All right, let's give it a shot. Yeah, like... (laughs) bunch of people parachuting in like oh okay do they have like how much worse could it be do they have health care like <laughs> yeah, do, can i go to the doctor yeah. now <laughs> yeah um so you know the bad news about the new regime was that Qaddafi and his crew were a bunch of young men in their 20s and early 30s they had very little experience of any kind none of them had better than a high school education Um, One of Muammar Gaddafi's first acts in power was to promote himself to colonel and declare himself commandant of the Libyan army. Um, This makes him part of my favorite historical tradition, which is the fact that almost no one who's been called colonel in all of history has actually been a colonel. (laughs) It's just something people call themselves. Can we be colonels? Yeah, that's, that's all it takes. You're a colonel now. Yay. Colonel Bell. I'm putting it on, on a business card. You gotta get a cool hat. That yeah, is a requirement. That's fine. You got to get a sick ass hat to start calling yourself Colonel. Yeah. But I can do that. Yeah. So, yeah, Gaddafi promotes himself to Colonel. He's in charge of the Libyan army now. You know, what would you do, Dave, if when you had been a teenager, you and your friends had suddenly been in charge of the whole country? I feel like there'd be a point when I'd realize I'm in over my head. Um, <laughs> well, you're a humble man. <laughs> that's true. I wouldn't be a humble man if I successfully, because I I was a terrible person as a teenager. Yeah. Teenagers are generally terrible No, people. they're all monsters. And yeah. like, I was all into punk rock and like, yeah, anarchy, take it all down. So if I was in a position where I took over the government, I'd probably think I was real hot shit. Yeah. And be like, yeah, I'm going to run things the way I want to. And have just the worst ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, but I would never grow out of it. Mm-hmm. And I I assume that's similar to a lot of people like this. <laughs> you is if you go through your story. life yeah. never being told, hey, cut the shit. <laughs> um, you just stay a teenager your whole life. Yeah. If by the time you're barely where a normal person will be out of college, you run the country, uh, you don't grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's he's a little Joffrey. Yeah, he's yeah, he's 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 a little got some Joffrey going on. Uh, so one of Qaddafi's first acts was to ban all political parties and all political activity outside of the government itself. This was not mm. a big deal because the king had banned that sort of thing, too. Uh, in 1972, he made party politics a crime punishable by death, um, which doesn't sound as bad of a decision right now as it as it was. Right. Yeah. 
So, at first, a revolutionary council took control of the country, with Momar sort of at its head. There was great excitement among the population, but it quickly became clear that the new leaders knew even less than the old ones. Gaddafi immediately turned on his friends, uh, attacking them for their incompetence and telling his comrades they didn't understand anything. Uh, he would insult his colleagues in front of their staff and cancel decisions as soon as they were made. This started before the regime was even a month old. Um, so this is like if someone came along in like this country and said, like, the, all the experts and elitists, they don't know how to run this place. I'm going to, yeah. even though I have very little experience. And then they, by some insane uh, a way, they, they became running the country. Yeah, yeah. And it became very evident that they don't know how to do that. Yeah, and then they attack the people around them who they right. had previously right. supported in order to deflect blame from the fact Man. that they just don't know how to run a country. Yeah, I can't imagine such a thing. No, this is the only time it's ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Qaddafi developed a reputation for s- making meetings, like setting up meetings, and then making everyone else in the council wait for hours before he showed up. Uh, often he wouldn't even show up. Mm. He would regularly schedule meetings for 2 a.m. because he was a night owl. Uh, because he was in his 20s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> this is all a thing just a 20-year-old person would be doing. I mean, we don't, he might have been a little older than that because right. we don't know his exact fucking, but he was very a young guy. But there's a reason, like in this country, yeah. where like you have to be like 35 yeah. To be president. Like yeah. there's a there's a very clear reason. And also a reason no thirty five year old has ever been elected. Yeah. Because you're still probably not You're a... still <laughs> not ready. I'm nearing that age and it's like no way. <laughs> no, sir. Yeah. No, no. Just a couple of years ago we were driving to our apartment and you guys were in the back of a truck and I kept slamming my foot on the brake just to make you fly forward because <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was that when we were like had that weird keg? That, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That was fun. That yeah, was a good time. yeah. I shouldn't be president, is what I'm getting. Yeah, at. yeah. Or we should both be president. Well, now there's a different idea. Mm. Mm-hmm. You could be my pence. Yeah, I'll be your pence. Fantastic. Our uh, producer Sophie is shaking her head angrily. We're gonna uh, do it, which she does regularly. I, we're gonna make America okay. Pretty okay. Just okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like those hats will sell too. <laughs> So, uh, Qaddafi became famous for going AWOL for days at a time whenever he got angry. Uh, He would threaten to resign if anyone argued with him about anything. At one point, he decided that all members of the Revolutionary Council ought to wear military uniforms and carry pistols at all times. One of his friends on the council didn't like this rule and showed up to a meeting in street clothes. Qaddafi's totally reasonable reaction was to hide in the desert for a week. During another argument, he threatened to leave and fight with the Palestinians in Jordan. Hold on. <laughs> he, Gaddafi hid yeah. in the desert for Qaddafi a week? Gaddafi hid in the desert for That's a week. That's such a non-dictator thing. <laughs> like, I thought you were going to say he's like had him eaten by Mm-mm. dogs or something. He got upset and just went off. Did his friend have to like go find him and apologize? I feel like, like that's probably hey, what buddy. happened. Come up to him in like a tent in the desert like, hey man. Look, I'm wearing my uniform. <laughs> I got a gun. I don't really know why, but here it is. What an amazingly <laughs> passive aggressive way to run a country. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh my goodness. So by 1973, things weren't going great with the new Libya. Qaddafi was so disenchanted with ruling that he decided to resign and fuck back off to the desert, but for real this time. Mm. He told his comrades on the Revolutionary Council that he would announce his resignation to the people of Libya on April 16th. But surprise. (laughs) Qaddafi had no intention of resigning. Instead, he announced the Popular Revolution, an entirely new domestic program that no one else in the government had been warned about. They all found out about it at the same time as the people of Libya during the speech. Under this program, Qaddafi urged the repeal of all existing laws and their replacement by revolutionary enactments. 
the weeding out of anti-revolutionary elements by taking appropriate measures against perverts and deviators, the staging of an administrative revolution to destroy all forms of bourgeoisie and bureaucracy, the arming of the people in order to make a people's militia, the staging of a cultural revolution to get rid of all imported and poisonous ideas contrary to the Quran. So, Qaddafi promised at the end of the speech that he was going to take the Libyan people to paradise in chains if he had to. Mm. Mm. That's a that's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really tiring. <laughs> like you're working in the desert. It's pro anything you do if you live in the desert is probably exhausting. Right. And like you've just gotten over the fact that a new government's taken over, and then some guy's like, I'm gonna drag you to paradise in chains, and all the laws are different today. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> that really doesn't sound like paradise, buddy. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> um so this would all be a pretty full plate for most world leaders, right? Um, but Gaddafi wasn't done innovating. He started to work on what he called the Third Universal Theory, which was a new political theory he believed was destined to sweep not just Libya, but the entire world. Here's how one member of his inner circle recalled the brainstorming process for creating this universal theory. Quote, Whenever new intellectuals arrived, Gaddafi would tell me to invite them to visit him. Then as we talked, he would take notes. He would ask them how to remedy this or that problem, the trouble for him was that he couldn't digest their ideas. He didn't have a basic scientific approach. When he himself offered an opinion, he came out with immature and confused analyses, such as were later to form the basis of his third universal theory. So, Qaddafi described his theory as a middle way between communism and capitalism, destined to replace them both. Capitalism, he said, led to sin and degeneracy. It was far too individualistic to be healthy. Communism treated human beings like property of the state, and that wasn't good either. So... He needed to find a middle way. Eventually, Qaddafi codified all of his thoughts about how the world ought to be run into his magnum opus, the Green Book. In it, he argued that democracy could not flourish in republican systems. Such a society was destined to ignore the will of huge chunks of the population. Accurate so far. Yeah. Instead, the state should be abolished entirely, and the people should take charge of their own lives and rule themselves directly. So far, nothing he said is inherently crazy sounding, but the system he set up didn't actually work that way. The lowest level of the new government were the People's Congresses. Everyone was supposed to take part in them, debating and voting on policies. The People's Congressmen's Congresses would funnel their decisions up to a general People's Congress, which was kind of like a parliament or our Congress. Their decisions would be passed up to a general People's Committee, which was basically a presidential cabinet, which would then implement the decisions. But here's the catch. The actual center of decision-making was just Muammar Gaddafi. None of the people's uh, congresses were allowed to talk to each other about anything. They had to go through this like line of things that always ended up at Qaddafi. So no decisions could actually be implemented without Qaddafi's sign-off, and he mostly just did whatever seemed good to him at the time and ignored the congresses. Right. Yeah. So it was basically like, man, we should all just govern ourselves and and figure it out, and then I yeah. make the decision And then I the decide what we do yeah. still. Yeah. The Green Book was filled with other fun stuff besides blueprints for the government. Quotes like this. Sport is like praying, eating, and the feeling of warmth and coolness. It is stupid for crowds to enter a restaurant just to look at a person or group of persons eating. It is stupid for people to let a person or group of persons get warmed or enjoy ventilation on their behalf. It is equally illogical for the society to allow an individual or team to monopolize sports while the people as a whole pay the costs of such a monopoly for the benefit of one person or a team. So he hated sports teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big sports. The I'm ocean not a big and sports, sports guy I'm not, either. Yeah, but people but, like sports. Yeah, people like sports. We need sports. Yeah, people like sports. Nobody likes watching someone else eat. Yeah, like, but we know people. Oh like well, sp- now there's 
and there's those <sighs> videos. Right. There's yeah, those ASMR we figured videos. it out. So Gaddafi was just wrong. Yeah. Um, the Green Book also bans being a landlord. Uh, no one has the right to build a house additional to his own and that of his heirs for the purpose of renting it because the house represents another person's need and building it for the purpose of rent is an attempt to have control over the need of that man, which not, not an inherently crazy yeah, idea. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> totally against. It's really that that coming boiling down to, and I make the decisions. And I that's where it all gets fucked up. Yeah. It's great to say all these things like we should be reducing the amount of power one individual can hold over the another yeah. up until you demand to be in charge. And maybe, <laughs> I mean, people listening might have different opinions about this, but like maybe even if like if he tried to do it right, it might not work out still. It might just be, you know, him dreaming. But like, yeah, the really like he didn't give it a chance here. No, he was he, always. He was always, it sounds like a dictator. He yeah. was always. Yeah. Wanting it to be about himself. And he always had to be the center of it. He couldn't yeah. stand. Like, he was never going to let any council make a decision that he didn't yeah. agree with. He's Jaden Smith. Like, he has a bunch of... <laughs> he Nobody told him no. Yeah. He doesn't... Yeah. Um, and he has a bunch of uh, crazy ideas how the world should work, but he doesn't have, like, the background to... Yeah. To actually understand how to implement that. Yeah. It that's, sounds like. That's exactly yeah. what's going on here. So, it's also important to note if you're one of the people for whom the other stuff I've said from the Green Book sounds kind of good that Gaddafi was also super misogynistic mm. um, I'm going to read this quote I'm going to apologize to our producer first because uh, it's it's pretty bad but it's important that we be balanced about who Gaddafi was yeah according to a gynecologist women menstruates or suffers feebleness every month while man being a male does not when a woman does not menstruate she is pregnant if she is pregnant she becomes due to pregnancy feeble for about a year Afterwards, woman breastfeeds the baby she bore. Breastfeeding means that a woman is so inseparable from her baby that her activity is seriously reduced. She becomes directly responsible for another person whom she helps to carry out his biological functions, without which it would die. All these innate characteristics form differences of which man and women cannot be equal. That's such a misunderstanding. And it's one of those of things. Like, pregnant, like this person just launched a human out of their body. <laughs> and and like, it caused feeble. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> really freaking painful after carrying it for months. Yeah. And then has, has to keep it alive. Yeah. Like, what a, what a weakling. It's just like, <laughs> no, you idiot. No, I mean, if anything, the conclusion to be, yeah, I mean, we can't be equal because men can't make human yeah. beings. <laughs> like, but. Oh, my God. Anyway. So. Again, you got to balance this shit out because if you read just the stuff about everyone should be equal, Qaddafi sounds like not the piece of shit that he was. Right. I mean, here's yeah. going back to it, the only thing I know about Qaddafi is that he was murdered horribly in the streets by his people. <laughs> I kind of assumed he did something to deserve that. Oh, and we are going to get into yeah. all of the somethings he did. So now the Qaddafi reign is up and running and the utter madness is about to start we have not even dug into the craziest of the crazy yet but before we dig into that crazy we have to dig into some ads so get out your credit card pull out a wad of cash veer your car off of the road Mm -hmm. and pull out your laptop and prepare to order things the following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com welcome to Yippee, would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes. Yes, 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 yes,
that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! And we're back. Muammar Gaddafi has taken control. He has launched his second revolution in a couple of years and elucidated his plans for a perfect society in the Green Book. Right. Um, so, yeah, now uh, now here we are. Muammar Gaddafi starts releasing his Green Book chapter by chapter rather than all at once. I think he was releasing it as he wrote it because okay. um, he just didn't have the ability to delay his gratification by that much. <laughs> <laughs> and he said as he dropped the first chapter, with the establishment of this unique democratic experiment, all political theories in the world have collapsed. So, Gaddafi changed Libya's name to the Socialist People's Libyan Arab Jamahiria, which is means like the, the People's Republic, basically. Okay. Uh, and the flag was changed to the color green. Now, Gaddafi had no official role in this new people state. He was still in charge of the army, of course, but he was not technically in charge on paper. He de- demanded to be called leader of the revolution or brother leader, but he didn't actually have a job, so that whenever there was a problem, he could be like, I'm not in charge of Libya. It's these other guys. It's this council here that fucked up, or it's this guy here who fucked up. Don't get angry at me. I'm not in charge. So nice. that was that was his whole tactic. It's a good racket. There. Yeah, yeah. solid good, racket. Good scam. <laughs> Being in charge of the country and pretending you're not for mm-hmm. 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gaddafi's like, I don't actually have a job. It's not me who's in charge, so that you know he can't be blamed for anything. Right. He, he's in charge. It's a good plan. It's like um, 
it's like if if you were like president and you were blaming like the rival party or like yeah like a like a special deep state yeah. for all your problems yeah yeah it's not unlike that if that were to ever happen yeah somewhere in the globe yeah um and for all of his rhetoric about like freedom and liberty and stuff like that the people of Libya were brutally repressed whenever they spoke out. One month after declaring the people's state, some students protested in Tripoli. They were hung in front of their classmates, and the executions were broadcast on state television. Hmm. Uh, Qaddafi established a series of revolutionary committees across the nation, made up of loyal young men who got super high off of having a little bit of power. The official purpose of the committees was to protect the revolution and remove any obstacles to Colonel Qaddafi's vision. This had the dual advantage of helping Qaddafi solidify his power while freeing him from any possible blame because, hey, it's not his fault if these kids hurt the wrong people. Which they did. They would just like rob people, take their stuff, throw them in prison, execute their own personal enemies. Mm. You know, the kind of things do when you let young people uh, establish paramilitary committees. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Gaddafi was basically a master at outsourcing his methods of oppression and control. When a TV news presenter in Tripoli became too popular for the colonel's comfort, he ordered the people to take over the job of presenting the news. Random Libyans would line up every day for a chance to read the news live on television. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. TV got really weird under Muammar Gaddafi. Oh, my God. Um, That sounds like a blast. Oh, yeah. For most of his reign, there was only one official channel, the state television channel, that ran like six or eight hours a day. One day, it broadcast hours worth of just a picture of army boots with the caption, From a Viewer to the Broadcasting House. Another day, it played hours of footage of a dirt road shot out the window of a moving vehicle. For the most part, state TV broadcast speeches by Gaddafi and conferences where people talked about the brilliance of his green book. This is like public television. Yeah, but it's the only Yeah, (laughs) where there'll be like six hours of old people dancing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like that, but he's the only one deciding what's going to be on it. So, as it always does, repression in Libya bred dissent. Uh, Not all of those dissenters were arrested before they could flee Libya. Some of them made it out of the country. Gaddafi made use of an international network of assassins to murder political enemies who managed to make it to the safety of a country like Britain. This did not always work out well for him. In 1984, there were a bunch of angry Libyan dissidents protesting in front of a Libyan government office in London. People inside of the office started shooting into the crowd, but they missed and hit and killed a British policewoman named Yvonne Fletcher. Britain suspended their diplomatic relations with Libya as a result of the shootings. Uh, Gaddafi was known to demand that his assassins bring back all or part of his murdered enemies. He would often keep the corpses of his murdered foes in refrigerators. A member of his inner circle said that he did this to see them once in a while, to speak with them when they were dead. He kept some corpses stored this way for more than 20 years. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Things have taken a turn with Momar. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, okay, there's there's been a hate crime. (laughs) There's been a hate crime. Um, And he was described as cruel, but this this is now Hannibal Lecter territory. Yeah, we have, it it, it ramps up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, and this is like a thing you see with, with dictators. Like, when we talk about these guys being pure evil, most of them really weren't until they would have some dark moments, but they're dark moments that might make them like a, a criminal. They always feel like but, they have something to prove. Yeah, and um, power. Yeah, yeah, but like in the sense that they would kill someone and then vent at their corpse for forty years. Yeah, like they couldn't, they can never walk away from a disagreement, or it, it, that's what it sounds like. They. Like, this guy, if this guy's never in charge of Libya, he's the dude where somebody insults him and it 
burrows into his heart for years and mm-hmm. he starts a fist fight over it or maybe even murders somebody in a crime of passion because he's the dictator it morphs into keeping corpses in a fridge for right. 20 something years he has yeah. he has a support system yeah he has way more resources yeah. to be a, a terrible dick yeah. yeah it's it's just what happens when you have power mixed with whatever the hell is going on inside Momar's head. Inside, mm. When you mix power, when you mix unlimited power with the weird damage that we all have inside of us, everybody yeah. has their version of keeping their political enemies in a fridge. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just banning a... Like, I have a fridge in my heart that yeah. I keep people in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't but like squash. And if we, I, yeah. we have people in our lives to tell us to cut the shit, yeah. which is yeah. something he does not have. Yeah, it's like anything that you feel strongly about. If you were a dictator, you could turn into something terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what Qaddafi did. Uh, he also had a secret rape chamber in his compound. Um, uh. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, he would. Yeah, that is where he would violate women that his henchmen abducted for him. I say women, but that's not accurate. He would visit schools and pick out girls and indicate which one he wanted by patting her on the head. Uh, his men would pick the girl up after school and bring her to him. One teacher recalled during a BBC documentary, the girl they wanted, they would simply take her and treat her like a rag doll in their hands. They had no conscience, no morals, not an ounce of mercy, even though the girl might be 15 or 16 years of age, a mere child. If the child was a virgin, Qaddafi's staff would show her porn movies until she understood what he wanted. He was apparently turned on by violence it's hard to know how much of all of this to believe exactly because these particular interviews came from a BBC documentary um, called uh, Mad Dog, Qaddafi's Secret World. Um, and obviously the BBC is one of the NATO nations that helped depose Qaddafi. Right. So it's one of those things where, and they're interviewing actual Libyans, but those Libyans are people with a grudge against the administration. They definitely, like, they found the rape room. There's, like, pictures of it and stuff. So... It's hard to say how much of everything I mean, is true, but it seems like most of it is. Just the rape room is horrifying. Yeah. If 10% of this is true, it's it's awful. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's kind of where I land on this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Nuri al-Mismari, Qaddafi's former chief of protocol, also claimed that he molested young boys in addition to young girls. Uh, quote, he had his own boys. They used to be called the services group. All of them were boys and bodyguards, a harem for his pleasure. Uh, some of the women he used were tossed out on the street, basically, but others claimed they were sent to mental institutions so no one would believe them. So, yeah, it's dark now. It's horrifying. Yeah. The colonel's rule was idiosyncratic, by which I mean he turned on a dime and demanded insane things from his followers. At one point, he ordered all of the camels in Tripoli shot dead. The only explanation given was, brother leader has decided that camels have no place in a modern society. Mm. <laughs> I don't disagree with that one. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, yeah. They don't have any place in modern society. I don't like camels. They're terrible animals. They're fucking assholes. Yeah. Um, that doesn't justify the other horrible things. No, but, yeah. Yeah. You know, Again, there's there's things, beliefs that align with my beliefs in yeah. terms of ocean and camels. Yeah. Um, but I, at this point, I think it's safe to say that I would not like Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah. I would not get along with him. It's just that even a rapey clock is right twice a day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's possible that Muammar Gaddafi had Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt, murdered. Some of his former insiders alleged this, and Gaddafi did claim, after the relationship soured, that Sadat had been, quote, an agent of Hitler since 1948, which... There's a lot to unpack in those mm. few words. 
Because he's very specific that Sadat became an agent of the Nazis after 1948, which yeah, you get there's there's a lot that needs to be expanded. <laughs> there's there. a lot going on in that sentence. Yeah, um, I wish there was more. I wish Gaddafi had spoke at length about how he thought World War II ended, but I have not found that. Yeah, um, that I bet that's a really special yeah uh, conversation. It does seem like he thinks Hitler survived into the late mm-hmm. 40s at least. So that's fun. Um, For the first half of Gaddafi's reign, basically all private enterprise was banned by the government. Gaddafi and his people decided what could be imported. They ran state supermarkets to distribute these goods to their citizens. In 1986, a journalist found that the main floor of one such supermarket had only ghee, which is butter with the milk fat removed, and powdered milk. In 1987, another foreigner reported that the markets in two cities held nothing but Dutch milk powder, Italian suits, and Chinese tea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you can really live on that stuff. You can have, what would you do with Dutch milk powder, Italian suits, and Chinese tea? All right, hold on. You boil down the Italian uh, suits. (laughs) To get them to their their tastiest components. Again, the Italian chef kissing fingers. (laughs) Um, You boil that down until it's nice and soft. You add the tea, I want to say. You boil it with the tea. Yeah, that feels right. I think you strain it from the tea. Yeah. um, And then mix it with, what's the last one? Milk powder. Dutch milk powder. Okay, so you, you don't strain it all the way, but you add the milk powder mm-hmm. and it thickens like mac and cheese. That's basically macaroni. Yeah, yeah. And you cut it up. Yeah, yeah. I assume Italian suits are made out of pasta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, some of this was, you know, that some of the absence of goods in the supermarkets was a result of sanctions, which we will get to later. Mm. But a decent amount of it was just Gaddafi fucking with people. He's quoted as having said, sometimes we make items disappear to force people to work harder and produce them, which is a dick move. That's Uh, a real dick move. (laughs) Uh, It's also true that the entire Libyan government was hilariously corrupt. Public supermarkets were regularly burned down by their managers so that the managers could steal all of the goods inside before lighting them on fire and then sell the goods on the black market. So, yeah, that's I mean, they're they're creating a situation where I feel like, what are you going to do? Yeah. If you're managing that supermarket and you're like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> this is just milk powder? Yeah, I'm just burning this place to the ground. <laughs> yeah, I have trouble. Like, anyone who's worked in a place like a, a grocery store has wanted to just burn it down. At some yeah. Point. Yeah. It's so, very burnable structure. Yeah. It's hard to blame anyone for yeah. doing that. Um, so I, it's important to note that the Libyan state under Gaddafi was not a, a total shit show and in some ways was more functional than the king's government that had come before it. Gaddafi did establish a successful social safety net where none had existed before. Everyone in Libya was guaranteed a home, health care, education, and a car, all provided by the state and paid for by the billion dollars a day in oil revenue that poured through Gaddafi's hands. Okay, so yeah, he had this ideology and some of it, Throughout this, we've said, like, well, he's not completely yeah. wrong. It's like the ideology didn't necessarily not work. He's a broken person. He's a broken person. Because, like, the idea of, okay, the state's going to provide a bunch of shit for people, and we have more oil than yeah. almost anyone in the world. Yeah, that can work. Other countries have done that for fucking close to a century now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can absolutely run a state that way. But not with a guy like Gaddafi in charge. Yeah. Not for long. Well, actually for 40 years, but... Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good run. <laughs> it's a good for run. For a maniac, yeah. Yeah, for a fucking nut. Um, uh, speaking of schools, which were paid for by the oil money, in the 1980s, Gaddafi replaced school uniforms with military uniforms and mandated that all students take military science courses. 
Military officers took over for school administrators and for many teachers. They were authorized to carry out military punishments, including forcing students to stand out in the desert sun for hours at a time, which is mm. pretty sick. Yeah. This seems like a, a real, this is like, he's just asking to be overthrown yeah. at that point. Yeah. The moment you start like a whole generation of people that you just torture and that teach way. them how military science. Yeah, <laughs> while you're yeah, you're you're, them. you're 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 begging for them to overthrow you. <laughs> yeah, in, in retrospect, you can see the the short sightedness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's like it's like having having like a dog <laughs> <laughs> that you that you like only let outside and like are a dick to, but also attach like lasers to. Yeah. It's exactly like that. It's like teaching your dog to understand the concept of slavery and then giving it a right. gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just generally, yeah, just telling an animal what the score is. <laughs> Not a great idea. <laughs> um, now, of course, David, uh, no self-respecting tyrant would be complete without his elite bodyguard unit. Uh, Saddam had the Republican Guard. Hitler had the SS. Mussolini had... Someone, the macaroni troopers, probably. Yeah. We are really being rough on Italy. Today. We are. Well, we both, we both <laughs> established that we have Italian blood. Yeah. And so that, like, released the floodgates. Yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's a fine. <laughs> and Muammar Gaddafi, of course, had the Haris al-Has. In Europe, they were known as the Amazons, an all-female unit of elite, highly trained bodyguards who protected Muammar Gaddafi for more than 20 years. We got some pictures of these wow. ladies. They're going to be up on the site, but just take a gander there. Oh, that's that's wonderful. <laughs> they're all young. Uh, they're this all is like conventionally a, attractive. A yeah. Bond villain type of thing. It's exactly it's a Bond Amazons. villain. T- called the fucking oh. Amazons. I mean, yeah. And there he is in the second picture in his fucking ridiculous colonel's uniform next oh to that lady. God, yeah, those glasses. It's he. He is a Bond villain. He's yeah. the most Bond villain that a dictator has ever been. He's like, well, I would say he's more like an Austin Powers villain. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a spoof of a Bond villain. He wears the Doctor Evil outfit from the first. There's a picture <laughs> that we'll come to later where he's dressed like Doctor Evil. And That's it's like, amazing. What? And this is like right after Austin Powers had come out. So it almost makes you think like, did you just watch the movie? Yeah. And dress like Doctor Evil, Momar Gaddafi. He might have. He might watch it. He's like, oh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty that's smart outfit. You guys got it going on. Yeah. Uh, so Gaddafi got a lot of bad press for his all lady uh, bodyguards. The reality, you know, and a lot of the press was like how cool it was that he had how badass these women were. Right. Like, fucking awesome. But look at these badass Those lady pictures, bodyguards. The pictures are awesome. Yeah, they are awesome. The reality was less awesome. Most of the women were. Most of the women in his bodyguard unit were press ganged into the job with very little choice as to whether to join. Girls were often sent to act as entertainment for Gaddafi family parties, and the whole thing sounds kind of gross gross and very exploitative. That said, some of his former guards, when interviewed, did report loving the work and loving Gaddafi. Okay. Um, there's also evidence that they acted as sort of a secret state police within his inner circle. I've also read reports that suggest the job was terrifying for most of the Amazons. One former bodyguard, now in hiding, was quoted by the BBC as saying, one night we were going to witness the execution of 17 students. They did not hang them. They shot them. We were forbidden to scream. We were ordered to cheer. Mm. So so again, this is going back to he's just asking for it. Yeah. You don't, if you have personal bodyguards, you get the people who like want the job. You don't force someone yeah. to do that job. You don't want someone half-assing that job. But if you're only going to have like 
comb the country for pretty girls and put them in uniforms and teach them how to shoot, they're not necessarily going to love you. Yeah. Like, because you're it, just abducting them from their families. Exactly. It feels like the moment things get rough, they're just going to, like, quietly back away. Yeah. And and just, yeah, find new employment. Like, it's bad. He's, he's really asking for it. You should also, and I feel like this should go without saying, I, I don't support being uh, gender discriminatory with your bodyguards. Mm-hmm. Women can bodyguard very well, I'm sure. But you don't pick your bodyguard entirely by how they look. Yes. That's not a good move. You pick your bodyguard by how good they are at guarding your body. Yeah. Um, yeah, even even if you're trying to find like the most badass looking people, they could be cowards. Yeah. Like, you don't know. Yeah, it's, there's a... It, a resumes matter. Mm-hmm. Um, That's important. Sit and down and interview these people. One of the through lines in Gaddafi's regime is that there were no resumes. Yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that. Because <laughs> his resume, when he became in charge of the country, was... Guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we have uh, we've we've talked about some crazy stuff, and we have a lot more crazy stuff to get to. Uh, so much that this is going to be another two parter because I wound up writing like nine thousand words on Momar fucking Gaddafi. Yeah. Uh, so Dave, we're going to break for right now and come back on Thursday to tell the good people uh, the rest of the legendary story of Muammar Gaddafi. Excellent. Um, when we get back, we're going to talk about what Gaddafi did with all of his oil money, his career sponsoring insane amounts of terrorism, and the speech he delivered to the UN, which I'm going to go ahead and say is the greatest speech that anyone has ever delivered, maybe to anything. Oh, man. Oh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Um, all right. Before we roll out, do you have any pluggables to plug? Yeah. I mean, find me at Twitter at uh, Movie Hooligan. Um, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, I am, um, one of two people running a, a podcast and streaming network called Gamefully Unemployed. We have a Patreon right now. It's patreon.com slash gamefully unemployed, G-A-M-E-F-U-L-Y, unemployed. So, uh, yeah, check us out. We got tons of podcasts and we stream on Twitch and we're starting to roll out, uh, like videos and stuff like that. Yeah, they do really wonderful stuff. Uh, really yeah. fun podcasts. We've fun had Robert twitching. on. Yeah, I, I'm on. I'm regularly on your D&D podcast. Yeah. So you can catch me there as well, Gamefully Unemployed. You can find me at I Write OK on Twitter. You can find this podcast at Bastards Pod on Twitter. You can also find us uh, on the internet at www.behindthebastards.com where we will have all of the sources for this episode and all of the pictures that Dave and I have discussed today. So, we're going to be back on Thursday with more craziness from the life of Muammar Gaddafi, the craziest guy to ever wind up in charge of a country. Um, But, until then, uh, please enjoy your lives, stay happy, and check back in on Thursday. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five, high five. Casino. casino, win at highfivecasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. 
Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer.